Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. Each and every year, the Rising Tide Mastermind gets together in Atlanta for a live event. This is one of the most anticipated events within the Rising Tide Mastermind. Normally, we have a Zoom call each and every week, but this is where we all come together and we become better friends. We learn more about each other and we help each other with their issues. It is my favorite thing and I'm sure it is going to be your favorite thing to look forward to if you were a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind. That could be a possibility to find out if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you and you are right for the Rising Tide Mastermind. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind and you can schedule a 15-minute call with me to find out more. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore, host of this awesome podcast. Thank you for being a member of the Scaling Up Nation. And as we do each and every episode, I like to tell you about things that you can go to that are perhaps in your listening area or maybe you want to travel to them. Now, this one I'm really excited about. It is the Association of Water Technologies Technical Training Seminar, and I will be there. I get to teach several courses within that training seminar. That's going to be in Frisco, Texas, March 6th through 9th, and then there's another opportunity in Cleveland, Ohio, April 17th through 20th. So for more information, we will have that on our events page. Maybe you are in Vancouver, Washington, March 15th through 16th, where you can go to the Pacific Northwest Groundwater Exposition. This is where the entire Northwest community gets together to talk about and network all things groundwater industry. So it's hosted by the Pacific Northwest Groundwater Association. We'll have all of that information on our events page, as well as the 9th International Water Association Water Resource Recovery Modeling Seminar, and that's going to be in Notre Dame, Indiana, April 6th through 10th, and this is all things where we can connect academics, engineering experts, and scientists all coming together to model wastewater treatment processes. This is put on by the International Water Association, and we will have all of that information for you on our events page. Another conference coming up is the Water and Wastewater Leadership Center. That's taking place April 21st through May 2nd in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Celebrating over two decades of executive education designed specifically for water and wastewater professionals. This is hosted by the National Association of Clean Water Agencies. And of course, we will have all of that information for you on our events page. Finally, in Bali, Indonesia, maybe you're going to be there. Maybe that's where you're listening to this podcast, May 18th through 24th, the 10th World Water Forum. This is a forum that brings together participants from all levels and areas, including politics, multilateral institutions, academia, civil society, and private sector, among others, 
all around water. We're going to have all of these mentioned and more on our events page. And folks, if you are ever looking for something to do, a conference to attend, look no further than going to scalinguph2o.com, going over to our events page, and we will have everything that you ever wanted to know about conferences that you can attend all throughout the year and next year so you can get on your calendar now so you can protect that time. And Nation, I can't tell you how many people that I have met over the years at conferences. I always look at conferences that if I go, it needs to be worthwhile to me. So how do I make sure it's worthwhile to me? I define that. And I say that my job is to bring back one thing that I am going to do differently. Now, it might be a piece of technology. It might be somebody that I met that has taught me something. It might be somebody I met that can help me with a problem that I had. But I just want one item. Maybe it's our company and we're actually exhibiting somewhere. I look for one new customer that we can help. So I just limit myself to one. And I will tell you, when I focus on that and make sure that I am giving to everybody that I meet at that conference, I get so many more than just one from each category. And I don't even look for one from each category. I just look for one, and it's just amazing. In the Rising Tide Mastermind, we call that a full cup mentality. And just imagine that you are going to a conference or a meeting and your cup is not full. Maybe it's half full or maybe it's empty. And you show up at that meeting and you are expecting other people to fill your cup. Well, folks, there's just not enough to go around. If everybody is not willing to give of themselves and help each other, that's not a very good meeting. That's not a very good conference that I would want to attend. And you can probably think that there are probably some meetings that are exactly like that. Well, now re-script that meeting and imagine that your cup is so full, it's almost pouring over and everybody shows up that way. Well, folks, there's just information, there's help, there's knowledge, just going all over that type of meeting. And those are the ground rules that people enter into a rising tide mastermind meeting each and every week. It's one of the things I talk about when I interview people, but we have finite time. And to go to a meeting that's not like that, I don't know if it's worth our time. So here's what I'm saying. If you are going to a meeting, maybe you preface in that meeting that this is the attitude that everybody should have. And if you do that, you've got to lead by example. And I promise people will follow your lead. Your meetings will get better. You'll have more fun. And you'll start saying, hey, I'm glad that meeting wasn't in an email. And I actually attended that meeting either on video conference or in person. I know there's lots of meetings out there that you probably wish were just a bulleted email. Try to be the changing force that makes those meetings better. Nation, one of the reasons I talk about conferences is it's my opportunity to meet so many of you, so many listeners of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, which we, of course, call the Scaling Up Nation. 
And I get to meet so many of you. I get to talk about what this podcast means to you. I get to get ideas. I even get to get criticism. I love getting criticism. Hey, Trace, have you ever considered not doing this and maybe doing that? I learn from that. So whatever you got for me, come up, introduce yourself. Let me know what it is that you want to hear or do or whatever, or just maybe it's just shake my hand and say, my name is Steve. Of course, if your name is not Steve, don't tell me it's Steve. That just confuses me. I just love conferences for that reason. So that's why we put so much effort in making sure you know what conferences that you can attend. Maybe you meet somebody there, but I definitely want you to know about the ones that I attend because selfishly, I want to meet you. And that always leads to a question that people ask me, how do I figure out what I'm going to talk about on the Scaling Up H2O podcast? And Nation, that's a great question because we cover a lot of topics. And I've had a lot of people meet me in person and say, you know what? If I had a water treatment podcast, I would have never put that topic on, but I'm so glad you did. But because you talked about that topic, I then learned about it. I did something different, and this is what it changed. I can't tell you how many times that I have heard that story. So here it is. It was really simple. When I wrote out my one-page business plan for the Scaling Up H2O podcast, yes, I did that. I was taught to do that in business, so that's what I knew how to do. I wrote out my values of the podcast. I wrote out the mission statement of the podcast, and I wrote down what we were going to talk about within the podcast. And I wrote anything that I was able to use as a successful water treatment company owner was fair game for the Scaling Up H2O podcast. That's why you've learned a lot of business things within this podcast, because let's face it, we have to have a healthy business or we don't have a place that we can work at. No margin, no mission is what Dr. Stephen Covey says in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. By the way, I can't tell you how many people have read that book and come up and told me, oh my gosh, what an amazing book, and I never even heard about it until you told me about it on this podcast. So Dr. Covey is no longer with us today, but I'm pretty sure we have sold hundreds of not thousands of books of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I can think of no better book to help promote. So again, in that book, he said, no margin, no mission. And the reason I bring that up is we're going to talk about margin today. We're going to talk about profit. And we've talked about profit before on this podcast, probably the one that is most well-known because of the great marketing that our team does here at Scaling Up H2O is the one that we talked about, our famous Boilermaker hamburger. And I remember I was in a Five Guys at the time and somebody was talking about how they were going to price something. Uh, I was actually in a meeting with somebody, and uh, we took a burger, and we just picked it apart and talked about all the different costs that were associated with the burger we affectionately named the Boilermaker. So if you want to listen to that episode, that was episode 204. Uh, we talked about profit again on episode 267. We've had people talk about profit. And that was episode 260, where we brought somebody in to talk about it. And that was my friend, Rocky Levani. And I just have to say, if we're not making a profit, 
we are not in business. And that's what Dr. Covey meant with no margin, no mission. But I know for a fact you have heard somebody say sales is the way to solve any problem. And it's a great way to think of business. If we're selling more, we're actually making more money and we're able to make better decisions with that money. So how can that be a bad thing? Well, we're going to talk about that sales just for sales sake can actually put you out of business. So it's not the fact that just selling more of whatever you're selling can solve the problems. I think understanding some things within business will help us solve problems. And that's what I want to do today. I want to give everybody a little mini MBA session on all the different things that surround Profit. And folks, profit is not a bad word. On those three episodes that I mentioned earlier, I'm pretty sure I said that because some people are embarrassed or ashamed that they are making a profit. Well, Stephen Covey told us no margin, no mission. If we do not have profit, we cannot pay our team to continue working at our company. We can't buy the wares that eventually are going to allow us to do the services for our customers. We can't have the power that our company has to turn on the light so we have a place to go work. All of those things takes profit. So profit is not a bad thing. Even nonprofits make profit. So they're called nonprofits and they're actually categorized differently with the Internal Revenue Service. By the way, the term for profit in a nonprofit business is called retained earnings. Well, what is retained earnings? Well, it's actually profit. They made more than they spent. That is profit. So with that, we're going to talk about how to be profitable and more importantly, how to drive cash flow, how to drive cash so we can buy the things that we need so we can have a successful company. Now, getting back to my earlier statement where somebody said, if we sell more, all our problems are going to go away. More sales equal less problems. Well, one of my favorite shows is Shark Tank. And I am sure if you have seen the show, and if you haven't, just follow along with me, somebody on the show will be on the show and they're looking for a cash infusion from the sharks who are the potential investors to invest in their company because they have this huge purchase order that they received by this big company. And a lot of times they say, I have a big box company and one of the sharks will whittle out of them that it's Walmart or Target or somebody like that. And they can't fulfill the order because they don't have the cash to make the products to sell to the company. Well, right there on Shark Tank, ABC has showed us that that is not a correct thing to say that more sales solves every problem because in this case, they can't afford the sale that they made. They made a commitment to the customer and they cannot fulfill it because they do not have enough cash flow 
to order the wares that they have sold. So they are asking the shark, the investor, to invest in their company so they can do that. And most likely, the shark will start asking questions about their business knowledge. How well do they understand business that everybody has a sustainable growth rate? Now, maybe you know that equation, maybe you don't. It's not necessarily important for this conversation, but there is an equation for a sustainable growth rate. And if we are outside the bounds of that equation, we cannot afford to sell whatever it is that we sold. Now, if you're tracking with me, great. If you're not tracking with me, just think. We have to have enough money to buy the things that we committed to for our customer, but they're also increased cost when we sell more. So if we sell something, it's going to take people time, labor that we have to pay. If we sell a lot, it's going to take more labor than we're used to. So that cost is going to go up. Of course, the cost of the goods is going to go up. There might be certain taxes or import fees or something that we might have to pay. That cost is going to go up. So just because we sell more does not mean that whatever we sell ends up on our bottom line, or another way to say ends up as profit. We have all these different things that we have to pay for within a company before we see the first penny on the bottom line. Let's talk about a few things. And you might have heard the term a profit and loss statement. So if you can envision a document, and let's say we sold something for a dollar. Well, that dollar would go in the very top of a profit and loss statement under revenue. So what's our revenue? It's one dollar. Well, let's say we marked whatever it was up that we sold by 100%. So we bought it for 50 cents, we sold it for a dollar. Well, this was in our hamburger episode. And of course, we learned that that wasn't actually the profit, the difference between what we bought it for and what we sold it for. We didn't make 50 cents. That was our gross profit. But now we have all of our operating expenses under that, and that's the insurance that we need, the trucks that we drive, the people that we hire to do the work, all the different technologies that we employ, maybe all the different fees that we have to pay. All of those things now get taken from whatever that gross profit is so we can operate And that's called general admin. And after all of that goes away, whatever is left is profit. Well, kind of, sort of. We still need to pay back any loans, and we've got to go ahead and pay taxes. Folks, that's how it works. So by the end of the day, at the very, very bottom of that page, that's what we get to take home. But here's the thing, it does not go into the owner's pocket. And there's so many people that think that, oh, okay, well, out of that dollar, two cents is on the bottom, that went into the owner's pocket. No, that two cents, hopefully it's more than that, but let's say for this example, it's two cents, that now goes back into the company to reinvest in what we need to buy next. 
maybe fulfilling that huge purchase order for that big box company. And if we don't have enough that's coming all the way through that statement, we have grown ourselves out of business. So there are equations that tell us how successfully we will grow. And maybe I'll do a show on that, but what I want to do today is to do a show on what we can all do, whether you own the company or you are working for a company. I think it's important you know all the things that drive profit and what drives cash flow. How do we make sure that the company has enough money to buy the things that we need? Maybe you have a company car and it's getting time to replace that company car. Where's that going to come from? Well, at the very bottom of that P&L that we talked about, all those things get reinvested to things like company cars. Maybe you need a new forklift in your warehouse. Maybe you need a new building and you've got to build that. All that is coming from the bottom line. So we're going to talk about what we can do wherever you are in the company to improve the bottom line. Out of everything that we are going to talk about, and we're going to talk about eight items today, number one is price, and it is the number one thing that you can do that will improve your profitability. Because whatever you do to increase your price goes directly to the bottom line. Well, how is that? Well, in the other case where we sold more, we had more delivery cost, whether that was service or whatever it was. When we're selling more, it's actually going to cost us more. So as we go through that profit and loss statement, more things are coming out in different areas. So when it gets to the very bottom of what we get to take as profit, there is less. But when we increase our price, so we were charging $1 and now we're charging $1.10, that's a 10% increase in case you were doing the math, that 10% is going straight through all the categories down the P&L statement, the profit and loss statement, and we just increase that bottom number by 10% because the only thing that changed was the price. Now, I know a lot of people are concerned about price changing, about increasing prices that customers are not going to understand. Well, folks, if that is the case, I want you to go and listen to episode 204 because I talk all about that. And there's nothing a company can do better than increase their price to increase their profitability. Now, here's the thing. If we talk about being fair and we're talking about a win for the customer and a win for the company providing the service, i.e. you, there is nothing wrong with a price increase because you earn it. But if you're increasing the price and you haven't earned it, well, yeah, you probably should have a problem with that. And that's not what we are talking about. We are talking about making sure that you are getting a fair number so bottom line, if it's a win for you and a win for them, there's no reason that you shouldn't do that. And by everything that we're going to talk about, the price is the thing that drives directly to the bottom line. So now you know that. Maybe now you're going to look at price increases a little bit differently. Now, the next thing we can do is we can sell a customer other things. 
So maybe there are other services, other products that we can offer. Maybe it might be upgrading equipment. So there are already customers, and these are things that we can do that enhances the win that we get because we're in business to sell things and the win that they get because whatever we sold them allows them to do it better. Now, maybe they have a controller from the 1980s that doesn't have bleed lockout. We can sell them a controller that allows for so many things, including remote control. So with all of that, they are now getting a much better water treatment program you are wasting a lot less product, which is probably going to help you with managing what product you're putting in the system. It's a win-win. So even though you're selling them something else, it's allowing them a greater win than what we had. So that's called ancillary sales. And that's something that we can do. Now, keep in mind, we are going to have costs because since we're selling something, there's probably going to be install costs. We probably have to get that shipped. All those various things, it's not as good as just a price increase, but it's still something we can do to increase the bottom line, what we get to keep from that original revenue. Well, whenever we buy something in the hopes to sell it, the first thing we have to do is we have to buy it. So how much do the goods that we buy cost? And that's called cost of goods sold. In the example I gave earlier, we said we bought something for 50 cents. We sold it for a dollar. So with that markup, our cost of goods is 50%. Now, let's say we could order in bulk. And we now got that cost down to 45 cents. Now, what we have to do is figure out, okay, now we're tying up cash in inventory. How long is it going to take to sell that inventory? And maybe that's not the best place to tie up our cash. And then we wouldn't do it. But maybe we're going to sell those things and we're going to have to order them next month anyway. So why not get them at a better price? Maybe it's less to ship them when we buy more. So now we're able to lower our cost of goods. We are still selling them for a dollar, but instead of 50% profit, we now got 55% profit. So we reduced our cost of goods. The next thing that we can do is trying to find our errors. And in context of cash flow, errors refer to inaccuracies or mistakes in the financial process or reporting. Now, I know most water treatment company owners do not like looking at financials. But folks, there is profit in those financials. And if we are not treating our money that's coming in as a tool that allows our company to keep going, I promise we are missing opportunities in that data. So that's the errors when we're talking about data. If we don't have good data, we can't change things and actually see what good or what harm we did. It's all about going to a baseball game and watching it without a score. How do you know who's winning? How do you know who's up? Folks, that's what our finances is. It's our scoreboard. And I think if you look at it that way, maybe it's less intimidating if I'm talking to somebody out there that has a problem with looking at their cash flow statements. 
Now, another error is when we don't do things properly, it costs more money. Now, let's look at that. Maybe we sold a controller and we go out there to install it and we did not do a proper survey. We didn't think about all the things that we want to put together and we get there and there are certain parts that we just don't have. So we're not able to finish the installation. So maybe we go to a store and we buy it and we come back and we think, oh, what a great day, but that error cost us time. And we probably had something back in our shop that was bought at a better rate than what we bought at the store just one off, because maybe we bought 10 of them, we got a 10% discount. Not to mention the time that you spent because you weren't prepared was the time you weren't able to spend maybe with that customer, letting them know all the great things that their purchase is going to allow them to do. And they're so impressed with you, they now are going to refer you to one of their friends. But oh well, you were at Home Depot, you didn't have that opportunity. So that is what we're talking about with errors. Maybe we ordered the wrong part and we were the ones that ordered the wrong part and now we had to ship it back. Well, that cost for shipping it back is now coming out of what should have gone on the bottom line. So what errors are in our process that we can avoid because errors cost us money, money that is taking away our profit. The next thing is accounts receivable. And this is something if you're not in business might be a little difficult to understand. So I want I want you to understand that we normally tell people that we're going to do something and then we do it and then we get to charge for it. Now we send out a bill and normally somebody has a specific amount of time that they're going to pay for it. A normal time frame within the business world is 30 days. So if somebody pays within 30 days of me sending them an invoice, they are within our current accounts receivable. But now let's say they go out to 31 days, to 40 days, to 50 days, to 60 days, to 90 days, to 180 days. Well, a couple things are going on here is everything that costed us, our cost of goods, is tied up in that invoice. So remember, we we billed them a dollar, but we paid 50 cents for that. We probably already paid the vendor we bought the 50 cent product for, so that money's gone, plus all the labor and everything else that we had to furnish in order to make that sale. We've already paid for that, and now there's this interest-free loan, if you will, that this customer is holding on to because they have not paid our invoice. That is a time value cost of money. Maybe something is coming up. Maybe we want to hire somebody. Maybe we want to buy something. Maybe we have that big purchase order from the big box store that we need to go out and purchase all these goods. We can't do it because all of our money that we earn that's due us is now out with all of these customers that are taking too long to pay. So it would behoove you 
to spend time to make sure somebody is working your accounts receivable and you want to make sure you get your money paid as quickly as possible because otherwise you don't have access to that money that you earned and you're not able to use it on whatever you decide that you need to use it on. So not having your money come back as quickly as possible, that is an issue. Maybe you can't afford to hire somebody right now and you look at your accounts receivable and they're out way past whatever the norm should be. In several cases, you just found the money you need to hire somebody in the money you've already earned. So by all means, look at how many days it's taking your customers to pay you. And as low as you can get that number, the better it is for you. Now, if you recall in the very beginning of this episode, I was talking about the profit and loss statement, and I mentioned that there was a general and admin expense section. Now, that's also called the expense section or the operations section. So if I were to go through the P&L again, it would be revenue up top, then how much the cost of goods sold cost us, and then that number below that, so the difference between revenue and cost of goods sold is gross profit. And then all of the charges below that, and that could be insurance, that could be rent, that could be light bill, that could be gas for the truck, that could be the truck payment, all of those things, labor, that is called G&A expense, our general and admin expense. Now, a lot of times, this is the most consistent of all of our expenses. Now, if we sell a controller, we're going to have to go buy that controller, but that's in cost of goods above the line. And when I refer to the line, that's gross profit. Anything above gross profit is called above the line. Anything below that is called below the line, if you ever hear those terms. So the below the line stuff, normally that stuff stays the same, but the larger we get as a company, the more we sell, the more expenses we do have down there. It just doesn't change as dramatically as every sale does in cost of goods sold. So these are things like negotiating our insurance premiums. These are things like maybe talking to our landlord and seeing if we can get a better deal on our rent. This is seeing if we can combine a couple of services and instead of paying for three essential services that we have separately, maybe we can bundle them and we can save 10%. So all of this stuff goes into our G&A expenses. And if we can get those lower, well, that's less things to eat up our gross profit and more things to actually become cash flow. So if you're wondering why somebody is looking at a particular price, most likely they are trying to figure out how they can reduce their G&A expenses. Now, the next one is labor costs. Now, we all work for a wage, and of course, our employer has to pay that wage, and there is a cost associated with all of us. Now, this is things like not only our wages, but benefits and everything that's associated with those wages, including the taxes your company has to pay along with the taxes that you pay. A lot of people don't realize that you are not the only one that is paying taxes on your income. Your employer is paying those taxes as well. So that is something that comes out below that line analogy that we were talking about is labor cost. 
Now, how can that be effective? Well, if we are upselling a new customer, we now might have to have somebody new help us service it because now we've got all of that new stuff in addition to the things that we are doing now. So maybe just one, somebody else can handle that's already with our company. But eventually, if we keep adding on, that's going to not allow for full bandwidth for the existing person to service it. So now we have to bring a new person on to service it. Well, we've got to pay for that, and that comes out and doesn't allow for our bottom line to be where it was once before. So looking at our labor cost is another thing that we can do to keep that bottom line healthy and also look at it that we do need to increase our labor to sell more customers and service more customers. So that's a good thing. So how do I find more labor money? Well, in all the things that we're talking about, that's where it is in addition to selling more. So I've got one more thing that I'm going to mention, but I hope what you're seeing is all these things that we're talking about go in conjunction with selling more. So it's not just sales solving the problem, it's smart sales solving the problem. And now we're able to keep more of what we sell. Now, I promised you eight things we were going to talk about. So number eight, is service time. And the longer it takes us to service something, the less profitable it is. Now think about it. If we're servicing one thing in the time it should take us to service two, and we continuously do that, we're going to hire somebody else in order to help us with the things that aren't getting done. So if we are not as efficient as we can be with our time, That is coming out of the bottom line, and it's also leading to extra costs that we're probably going to have to do in order to offset that. Now, I'm not saying shortchange your service. I'm saying do the best service you can possibly do, but if you are not as efficient as you can possibly be, and if your company has not set a standard on how long it should take you to service certain accounts and how long it should take you to run certain tests, you have no idea where you rank on that. So I urge everybody listening to come up with some sort of company standard just so people kind of know where they are so they can drive improvement. It's just like when we were looking at our financial statements. If we're not running metrics on pretty much everything that we do, how do we know? We're watching a baseball game without any score. And if you don't know where you stand in service time, how do you know if you can do better? And I love doing better. I love trying to figure things out that will take a 10-minute process down to a five-minute process. And imagine if I do that 20 times a week. Well, folks, that's real time. And that's probably the time I need to service that extra customer. And all of that goes to drive cash flow. So here it is. Price, ancillary sales, cost of goods sold, errors, accounts receivable, general and administrative expenses, labor cost, and service time. Those are the eight drivers of cash flow 
And now you know that there is so much more than just selling something to a company making profit. You now know what smart sales are, and you can be smarter the next time you sell something. Speaking of somebody who makes us smarter each and every week, here's our friend James McDonald with a brand new Drop by Drop. Welcome to Drop by Drop with James, the podcast segment where we wonder, explore, think about, imagine, and learn industrial water treatment. You guessed it, drop by drop. Together. In this week's episode, we're thinking about what happens when a large steam user in a facility suddenly starts using steam. What happens inside the boiler? How is the steam pressure impacted? How does the water level change in response to this suddenly large steam demand? When is feed water triggered? What is the impact of this cooler feed water upon the hotter water inside the boiler? How could this impact steam output rate? Could it cause boiler carryover and why? How could low-level alarms be triggered if the high demand continued long enough? The answers are actually very interesting and interrelated. Spiric Sarko has a nine-part series on YouTube called The Inside Story. This is a classic series that every industrial water treatment professional should watch. They actually let you view inside the boiler as steam is being produced and show what happens at low pressures, high pressures, increased demand, etc. If you've already seen the series, they are worth watching again. If you haven't seen it, get your popcorn and pocket protector because you're in for a treat. Part 6 addresses the topic of today's drop-by-drop episode on increased demand. I'll be sure to get the links to Trace so he can hopefully include them into the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, if you search for Steam Boilers, The Inside Story, in your favorite search engine, you are likely to find the series. I'm James McDonald, and I want to encourage you to be like water by forming bonds with those around you, dissolving new knowledge, and making worthy ripples, drop by drop. Thank you, James, and thank you, Scaling Up Nation. Like I said, I love bringing topics to the Scaling Up Nation that I know are going to help you be better industrial water treaters. And when we understand the business behind what it is that we do each and every day, we make our businesses stronger. And when we make our businesses stronger, we make the industry stronger. So Nation, thank you for giving me a platform where we can do that very thing. And our mission is to improve the industrial water treatment industry one water treater at a time And I think we did that today. Nation, if you have an idea for a show, just like somebody wrote in for this show, let me know what that is. You can go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our ideas page, and we will look at that as a future show. Nation, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll have a brand new one for you next Friday. Until the meantime, take care, folks.
Nation, there's no doubt about it. The industrial water treatment industry is the best job out there. And why not show everybody that you are among the best in the best industry? Well, one of the best ways I know to do that is to let people know that you are a certified water technologist. And if that is something that is on your list to undertake, and I sure hope it is, a great way to start is to go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep to sign up for our CWT prep course to build your confidence so you can sit for that exam. Nation, you deserve to be your best and give your best. So to help you with that, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep to start getting ready to sit for your certified water technologist exam today.